Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to episode 450 of the podcast. It's July 13th, 2022. My guest today joining us from Switzerland is Professor Tor Netland. You're going to learn more about him in a minute, but for links to uh, his blog and articles he's written, more information about him and the AME Annual Conference 2022, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to leanblog.org slash 450. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Professor Torborn Netlin. He is the Chair of Production and Operations Management in the Department of Management, Technology, and Economics at ETH Zurich in Switzerland. He is member of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on Advanced Manufacturing and Value Chains, and he's a fellow of the European Academy for Industrial Management. Uh, Tor's award-winning research on managing performance improvement has appeared in leading scientific journals, including, just to name a few, Management Science, MIT Sloan Management Review, and the Journal of Operations Management. Tor is a recognized thought leader in operational excellence uh, and in methods, including Lean. He's the recipient of two Shingo Research Awards and numerous teaching awards. So you can find his blog, and I'll link to this in the show notes, at www.better-operations.com. So Tor, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thanks, Mark. It's a great honor to be invited by you to speak with you today about Lean and uh, whatever else you have in mind. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about lean and, and whatever else, mostly lean, but I think there's a lot of interesting manufacturing topics um, to discuss. And uh, before we get into that, I, I just want to mention um, that Tor, like uh, another recent guest, Dr. Lisa Yarian, who joined me again in episode 449, um, Tor is going to be one of the keynote speakers at the upcoming AME annual conference. It's being held in Dallas, October 17th to 20th. So I hope to see you there. I'll be there. Tor will be there on stage. Uh, you're, you're speaking in person, right? That's true. I look forward to go to Dallas. Never been there before. Yeah. And meet the community. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because uh, and, and part of why I asked you to just confirm that it's it's a bit of a hybrid event. There'll be a lot of people there in person and some speakers are appearing virtually. So I'm glad you'll be able to make the trip uh, from, from Zurich. So you can learn more about the conference at ame.org or you can look for uh, a link in the show notes. So, you know, the theme for the event this year is uh, embrace disruption. So, Tor, maybe maybe my first question for you is to share a little bit about the topic, the themes of your keynote talk, and and how it fits into the idea of embrace disruption. I thought I will talk a little bit about um, the role of new technologies in lean transformation, which is. Uh, maybe uh, shaking up a little bit the lean community, at, at least all those pen and papers, uh, pen and paper consultants and and, uh, and lovers out there. We're going to try to see if there is a role for technology in lean, and, and clearly there is, and and, uh, and then give a few examples of where technologies can help us close the gap and increase productivity beyond what lean can do alone. Yeah, and, and, and you're right, that will, discussion of that will fire the neurons of uh, you know, people in the audience in different ways. There are some, I'm trying to think of uh, old guard. I don't know if yeah, I, I, there, I said it. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are some who really hold to the idea, I think, as you alluded to that, no, oh, you must do everything with paper and pencil, whether that's an A3 or a, a Kaizen card for documenting an improvement or uh, a value stream map or, or, or things like that. But um, you know, I think, you know, and let's say in Jeffrey Liker's book, The Toyota Way, he emphasizes how Toyota doesn't uh, completely shy away from technology. Maybe they just don't take it to an extreme of using technology for technology's sake. Do you, do you think that's fair to say? Uh, that's, that's exactly what it is. If you look at mm -hmm. Toyota, all these tools that we worship in the lean community are really nothing else than tools. Uh, they can be replaced with other tools. It's we, it's the thing we're trying to achieve that matters, right? Which is increased productivity, better work environment, uh, customers that are happier with our products and, and want to buy more. So it, I, I'm trying to stay on the outcome-focused uh, transformation rather than the tools and, uh, and practices. And then suddenly technology can actually uh, 
do things we could never do with pen and paper. So we should be have an open eye for these things, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I think one simple example um, that that I even saw over 20 years ago would be the idea of taking a simple Kanban card, right? So maybe in its origin, piece of paper, maybe it's laminated, maybe it has some plastic technology to help protect the card. Um, but you know, traditionally, that Kanban card or container might physically travel back to a supplier as the signal. But even you know, 20 years ago, we saw companies using uh, using fax, which seems like an outdated technology now, or internet technologies to to communicate what 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 seems important is that that information that you're sending to the supplier, not how you do it, right? Absolutely. No, e-Kanban we had in the 90s, you're right. Yeah. And we tend yeah. to forget this thing. So when people are very skeptical towards the new digital technologies, just ask them if they use email. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, some, some of them might say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe but most people do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, of course we're going to start to give a few. I'm going to start to give a few more practical examples as well. It's not just about yeah, sure, technologies can help. Uh, hopefully, I get into one of the examples I plan to talk about is quality management. You know, for years we've used uh, pokayokas to try to avoid mistakes happening. Still, mistakes happen. For hundred years, we use statistical process control. Still taught widely in schools. Completely outdated in some sense, at least in some type of manufacturing environments, but it's still the go-to tool for many uh, lean consultants um, and uh, and practitioners. And here, for example, uh, the latest machine learning algorithms can, can do wonders if they are applied correctly to systems where data exists in a form that can be used. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but mm-hmm. it is possible to do things better than it was uh, 100 years ago. Yeah. Or even better than ten years ago, in a lot of cases. And um, I, I'd love to hear more if you can kind of elaborate on this idea of, you know, in in some cases, is there something better than SPC for, let's say, looking at um, manufacturing dimensions on some sort of part that you're cutting? This is what I was involved in, you know, over 25 years ago. You you have specifications, you have a centerline target, and you're monitoring the SPC chart to decide when you might shut down a process to investigate, not because it's gone out of spec, but you see some sort of you know signal that says, okay, that, that whole, it's getting to be too small. Uh, the variation is too high. Let, let's stop and adjust. Can you, can you talk about how AI or machine learning might monitor a process in a, in a way that's better? So uh, SPC works in many of these environments. It's a tool that is still uh, not used enough, if you'd like. But in manufacturing environments where one parameter setting can affect another one, which you may probably have in the in the tooling industry, you, put, you know, uh, you you change a, t- a tool to another one, and suddenly the the heat and friction between the tool changes as well. I mean, there are dependencies. So as long as you only use SPC and you're focusing on one and one variable, you may improve that. Uh, you may optimize the process for a variable that overall hurts the system. Um, the industry where we've been working in this is extreme in that regard. It's a semiconductor industry. It's one where you actually would not necessarily like to go into with an SPC tool in the first place because there's so, so many variables that affect the outcome of, of, of the process. And maybe the one of the most difficult things there is that you don't really learn the outcome of the process before it's gone through two to three, four hundred processes. That may be different in a in a tool shop where you after you you grinded it, you milled it, you you can actually inspect the product and see is it within specs. In in electronics manufacturing and semiconductor in particular, this is much harder because the the the, the parts and they affect each other and maybe you need to do this process before you can test it and so on. And then suddenly you will have more complex production systems with many variables um, that affect each other. Then SPC, which basically just picks up one and one variable. Uh, it's not bad. It's better than nothing, but it it does it doesn't really solve the problem. So with machine learning, you just throw all of these things into a neural network as long as you have a outcome variable that makes sense. In semiconductor industry, it's yield, right? So number of uh, defects produced, a good products to defects, and then you just look at all the parameters you have in your production process, and uh, and the algorithm can 
provide advice it's to the engineer or operator where the likely mistakes are happening, what we should change. Impossible with SPC unless you have a lot of... This is just one example. And of course, in a very high-tech industry, which is mature, which have a lot of data, highly automated. And then as we move towards the less automated, more manual uh, assembly work and these type of things, well... Uh, it's in within this span we will try to figure out what technology works best. So I'm not saying it's always machine learning. No, SPC is a wonderful tool in the right circumstances, but it's not all that there is. Yeah. So yeah, when I when I hear about these new technologies, I personally feel a little bit disruptive. Disrupted. There are times when I'm disruptive, but here I feel disrupted because uh, I feel like I understand SPC. I know how and where to apply it. And so, you know, it's it's a it's a little bit frightening to learn about some of the or to to think how do we learn about these new technologies? How do we bring them into into our organization in a way that's not too scary or not too threatening for for people? Like, what do you, I'd be curious if you can kind of you know share an example whether that's with a company in in Europe or you know just even a broader question of like you know introducing new what methods, whether it's lean methods or whether it's technologies? What, what are some things you've learned about introducing new things to people? The first, uh, I admire your reaction. I mean, you always say, I, I don't know all the thing about this. I need to learn more or, you know, you get frightened. Your the, the, My lean foundation is shaking a little bit. And that's, that's, of course, that's the right reaction because then, okay, I'm open to try to figure out what can this be. First realization, nobody in the world knows everything you need to improve manufacturing today. There's not one single person who knows everything about machine learning, 3D printing, IoT, and all of these things. So first realization is we need to work together, right? We need to be a team. We need to listen to each other. We need to be open for ideas. We need to work with other um, uh, type of companies, startups, uh, uh, maybe universities, take in students and and. And here's the advantage for lean companies. They, they have this attitude, right? The Kaizen, the, okay, mm, we want to learn, yeah. we want to improve. We're open for not being the best. And so that was my experience visiting companies in Japan. Although I, back in that time, I was only a student. I came to the factory and there's like 20 senior managers lined up in front of the factory to visit, visit or to welcome a student from, you know, what in the, I never had that in the US, in, in Scandinavia, in Europe, yeah. nowhere. But I have this attitude of, hmm, maybe we can learn something today. Yeah. Okay. I guess your question was more, uh, what's, what's, the, how, how do we start to engage with these well, new technologies? How do we overcome the or, resistance? Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, what, what have you learned about introducing? I mean, you know, as a professor, you're, you're introducing new concepts to people all the time. You know, maybe it's, you know, students have this expectation of I'm a student, I'm here to learn. You you, you raise, I think, an interesting point of, um, you know, sometimes people who are further along in their career don't have that same learning mindset or growth mindset. They say, well, I've learned it. I've been doing it. I know things. So mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, there's a couple of different ways of framing the question, maybe. Okay. But no, you no, know, I, what, you know, as, as as somebody who introduces new concepts to people, what what are some things you've learned about how to do that most effectively? Um, my in my experience, first of all, it's worth listening to those who have done these things forever. You need them. That's that's the guys going to continue to do this. So, uh, I take my uh, strategy to this from uh, Murimura Muda from classically. Why do I say that? When I was working with Volvo back in the days, studying how they tried to just kind of um, deploy, you say, or do a lean transformation, you have the same issues. I mean, it can be technology, but it can also be a soft technology like lean, new processes, new ways of doing things. It's frightening anyway, right? You need to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the best way to go about that is to start with uh, reducing overload for those who are supposed to do this right moody and and that basically mean helping the operator the first thing you should do is to make sure you introduce technology or lean principles and practices that actually makes life easier on the shop floor that's the best way then you win them and you can move on few companies get this and they start with waste right start with muda okay let's reduce waste let's uh, take 
away these time thieves away with that coffee break you lost them immediately it's it's um it's it's from one of the learnings from the world one i think the fact it's exactly the same for new technologies need to look at uh, for technologies that augment and help the operators succeed in their right. jobs rather right. than just think let's automate them away mm-hmm. so that, i think that's that's my answer to that one classic yeah. muri mura muda yeah and like you said make sure you're being helpful um throwing a solution at people that doesn't address something that they think is a problem people will ignore that solution if 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 we don't get agreement that there's a problem or even if they would say there's not a problem if we can make people's work easier less frustrating um that at least helps you know people are complicated we could say rationally yeah i know that new way of doing it is better but i'm comfortable doing it the old way right so we still have to work people through it but i i agree with you like making sure that there's benefit to people is uh, is absolutely necessary yeah I, i i agree and there are still many you know we call uh, dull dirty and dangerous jobs in manufacturing and automating these jobs or semi automating these jobs so it's get less of this and more of other jobs is also a good place to start so yes. there's plenty of opportunity for new technology which lean can solve everything it's it's right there's space for many type of solutions yes um so on on the topic of automation i, I wanted to ask you uh your your thoughts and in you know instead of looking at replacing a tool or or, or making incremental change Sometimes people have this vision um, of, 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 might call it total automation, or you know, uh, even go back to the back to the 1980s. Uh, Roger Smith famously was the the CEO of General Motors, and he had this vision of a, a lights out factory. And you know, they spent billions and billions of dollars pursuing this vision that just didn't really uh, go very far. And in and, and more recent years, Elon Musk, um, as CEO of Tesla, has pursued you know the similar idea of you know the machine that builds the machines i think is how he called it so you know this 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 dream of a lights out factory it, is that still a dream is it a nightmare is it somewhere in between um it's still a it's, a, it's still a dream it's a wet dream even for some people yeah. and by some people i mean engineers and uh, we have to of <laughs> right. course give them engineers respect they're the guys who build this world in many in many ways right at least the things we use and uh, that that vision is still very much alive and in itself i don't have a problem with the vision i mean if we can make technology work for for humans make things we need it's a good vision of course there's a, a very strong capitalistic motive, motive there as well if you can make a factory that just produce things and sell it's a wonderful thing so it's also an, a wet dream for many for many business people and uh, now of course reality hits in when you try to do these things and then suddenly modern nature has its uh, requirements physics has its requirement and and most importantly human uh yeah behaviors uh markets uh, disruptions all of these things just makes it very very difficult and uh it's not new i mean i think the f- book one book called automation that was published in 1950 it was about how the factories will be fully automated within a few years uh, just a few years later uh, of course we also got the computer integrated manufacturing revolution in the 70s and 80s uh, lots of good thoughts same vision and you man- you mentioned the general motor story uh, with robots started to painting other robots and welding the <laughs> right. door shots it's not <laughs> right. easy right you need right. such a control which is almost out of the world and maybe maybe not necessary what what i'd say is the vision is still alive and i f- i don't think it is a bad vision to have but expecting that it will be just around the corner uh is uh, maybe yeah is probably for someone who hasn't studied history so I would say at least uh, towards that uh, vision, let's uh, rather see how we can augment humans to do work better. And then uh, at the end of the day, uh, if we can automate some of these tasks, uh, that that may actually be progress for the world. Yeah. And, you know, there's a difference. I mean, you know, General Motors had this long history of a combative relationship with its workforce in the the union. Um, You know, when I was working there, 
in the mid nineties, you could definitely sense that you were part of, you know, kind of the, the aftermath you know, that, that wasn't history. That was still very much um, the case. And, you know, it seemed like the mindset of General Motors was one of looking at, well, you know, people are a problem. So let's try to get rid of them, which is different than the Toyota mindset that, that you've mentioned of, well, if a job is uh, dangerous, unsafe, boring, too repetitive, or if it could be done bit better by a robot, let's automate it. Sure. Um, as opposed to, um, you know, just, I, I don't know Elon Musk's mindset. I think he's a technologist who falls in love with technology. But, but you know, as he commented publicly after they struggled, um, you know, uh, automating some things that maybe were a bit of an overreach, you know, he famously said he learned uh, people are uh, people are underrated. Yes, but there are yes, some jobs people still can do better. No, this is true. It's because, uh, as you said, excessive automation was a mistake, my mistake, as I mean, in, in, the, in that famous tweet. But, uh, of course, these factories are still quite automated. And also when they open new factories now, they do they do seek automation where it's possible. So it just maybe he went too far. And it's, uh, it's not just uh, Tesla. It's also the other car manufacturers. I was at Mercedes in Stuttgart, and they had the same. Um, they had, uh, even for uh, the, the final assembly, uh, of course, assembling seats and these things, a di- very difficult thing, which humans still do. Uh, and they had our robots for that. But then suddenly market demand changes, um, more variation, more different types of products, perhaps on the same line. And then they realized as well, well, human is the most flexible, cost-efficient robot there is on the world, kind of. So, so they changed it as well. Back and forth. But every time, yeah, maybe it's two steps ahead and one step back. Yeah. Well, we 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 learn and adjust, hopefully. So that there's evidence to that. Um, you know, so Tori, I want to step back a little bit. This is a question I like to ask my guests, and I, I often do it at the beginning of the podcast, but I'll go ahead and throw the question in here. Like what what sparked your interest in topics like lean and operational excellence? a good uh, question. Let me uh, maybe answer uh, that question with how I got to start to study and do research on uh, on on lean and lean programs. I was working with uh, Volvo Aero at that point in time. Today it's part of GKN, uh, British multinational, producing part for engines, uh, air, air, aerospace aircraft engines. I was visiting this factory, working with them on a project, and suddenly, kind of, the door went up, and it was a pallet was just pulled into the factory full of books and then on the book it said Volvo production system that was the delivery from the headquarters in Sweden and the and the message that came with the palette of books was clear go implement here you are here's our system good luck and that was of <laughs> course an interesting observation and uh, yeah obviously also not how it how you should do it, but it <laughs> yeah. it sparked my interest for these things. Uh, having already worked in manufacturing and research for some years at that point in time, I, I found that to be particularly interesting. No. And so then, how, how did you decide to pursue this then? You know, more deeply as mm-hmm. uh, a research focus, as a, a career focus. So, of course, what I observed was what I have later. Be- uh, kind of uh, learned to call a phenomenon. I mean, it's an observation. There's something that is happening here. Okay, there's a, this was a lean transformation under the label of Volvo production system, something I call the company-specific production system, some that, something that most, many companies have even, as you, you would know for sure, hospitals with Virginia Mason production system and all these variants, Ford production system and so on. They started to study this phenomenon uh, of, uh, and basically with, Two, uh, two angles. First, does this make sense? It means, it means, does it improve operational performance? And second, if it does, how do you do it most efficiently so you actually can achieve those performance benefits as fast as possible? The answer to the first question is yes, it does improve operational performance if you do it right, right? Particularly in the industry that I studied, which was automobile industry. And uh, yeah, basically then how do you study this is the next question for a researcher. And what I knew is that I can't sit in my office. And this was back in the days it was in Trondheim, Norway. I can't just sit there in an office and try to figure this thing out. You need to go and visit. So I started to travel 
together with my um, with a mentor from Georgetown University in Washington DC. I started to to travel the world and visit Volvo factories and uh, visited 54 Volvo factories at the end of the day in all on all continents. Met with people on the shop floor on management positions and interviewed them, and then parallel to that, collecting like. Um, uh, you know, uh, Volvo production system assessment data, which would be familiar, I would assume, to many of your listeners, this type of audits that companies often run in, uh, in lean transformations, in addition to KPI data and the survey data. So, and from this, uh, I did my doctoral studies back in the day, so, which was, for me, a tremendous learning opportunity, just going, traveling the world and learning from Volvo, a very good company. Yeah. So it was learning from Volvo and you mentioned um, going to Japan. T- tell us a little bit more about that trip or trips and, and the value of doing that. So I, at that point in time, I visited mostly, of course, some Scandinavian factories in the Volvo group, but also mostly American uh, factories, which are good in their own, own way. Okay, interesting in their own way. And the cultures are different and these things. But then I went to US. I didn't know what to, oh, sorry, to Japan. I didn't know what to expect. And. As I said, the the, the level of uh, formality and but also preparations that came from their side was at another level, absolutely different level. And then when I first came there, they, they stood ten senior managers outside the factory lined up to welcome me. At that point in time, a doctoral student to the factory to show me around, and and in the end of the day, they asked me, "So, what have you seen? What can we learn?" For me, first of all. At that point in time, I couldn't teach them anything, but I definitely learned a lot. So it was just a remarkable experience. And then what else should I say? I worked with, a, of course, uh, it's called UD Trucks. It's uh, owned by Volvo Group now, or what's part of Nissan Diesel before. And I saw truck manufacturing in, in Japan, uh, whether or not this uh, can be uh, compared to Toyota, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, but it was uh, clearly impressive. This first time you see this uh, in a, in a Japanese automobile factory, maybe uh, I was just standing a floor above the shop floor, mm-hmm. and it was like observing a dance. It was yeah yeah yeah. It was yeah. it was different. I never seen that in any other assembly factory in Europe or US. It was it was a coordinated dance of movements just in time to the line. Flying carpets, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know yeah. how to describe it. It was no. That I, I think I, I I've used that same language. That the work is so well designed, it seems choreographed. The interaction yeah. Yeah. between individuals in the work, between different individuals. I love a factory tour, like when I've been able to go to Japan and you can walk up on that catwalk level. Uh, uh, yeah, and really uh, both stand. And look down to see the work. That's different than a tour where they drive you through on a yeah. uh, a tram, you know, and you don't really ever uh, stop. And like to watch uh, cycles of work, um, yeah. whether it's you know an assembly line at Toyota of seeing how things are synchronized, or I think even more rare and more exciting to see is like a U-shaped cell, where the work is is again like so well designed. It's 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 really uh, it's beautiful to see. Absolutely. So that uh, that was my experience as well on the Messon in there. You could see that you could see the dance, and then afterwards you go to the uh, engine factory right next door, and you learn it's a two-hour buffer between them, and you understand also the fragility or the robustness of the system. There's not much, it's not much to play with. This has to work, or mm-hmm. everything stops. Well, then you know you see even something like uh, a two-hour buffer. Or even if you go to, let's say, a Toyota plant in the United States, the assembly line is in segments that then and there are buffers in between those segments where, where assembly kind of moves mm-hmm. back yeah. and forth. And, you know, there, uh, I guess a question for you is helping people see past dogma of like, oh, zero inventory. Well, well Toyota doesn't have zero inventory. Or dogma of like, oh, inspection is waste. Get rid of inspection. Well, Toyota still has mm. final in, final inspection. Um, just, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like some of these things that might be directional, but sometimes maybe people take it 
to an extreme before they're really capable of that. Uh, these are very interesting observations and clearly also where uh, we've gone wrong to some extent. But I would first maybe start to say that although we say these things many or it's often repeated in the lean community that we should have stockless production and no inspection. The fact is that there are very, very few companies in the world that ever had that. So I, you can blame that for things doesn't work because companies actually don't have it. Um, and absolutely, when you look at inspection, uh, this is where I, I'm thinking about that you have to tailor this thing we call lean to the, the context you're talking about. So if you go into an electronics manufacturer today, every second step is either a testing or inspection and you won't make wave of it because the customer is actually interested in paying off ex for exactly that the inspection is the service you could also do this at home and and not have it tested and inspected but then you have no guarantee it would work so uh, there's there's actually value add to inspection and testing same with inventory to some extent because you're you of course you're you know there's a value add to having the product available when you want it it's it's the value of uh, availability. Um, so and these buffer inventories actually may help reduce the lead time to your door or the availability when you need it. Mm -hmm. This is this is a discussion we really never yeah. had in the lean community, yeah. and it's yeah. misunderstood. And we're talking about the seven wasters and stockless production, and we're stuck there. Yeah, I mean, I think things like um, you know the inspection um, inventory, like to me that. Some of that facilitates an outcome. Like what, what the customer I think is paying for is, you know, the the, the right quality product and the like the right quantity delivered at the right time. And there might be ways of delivering that that are least wasteful than others, right? So having some inventory might be less wasteful than uh, not being able to make delivery to your customer because you have an imperfect, unreliable process or Inspection, I, I, you know, it seems like if, like you said, if somebody could guarantee that they were building a perfect product as complex as a car, I'm sure they would gladly get do away with the inspection. But it seems like having the inspection again, like to me, is least wasteful than delivering bad products that have to be fixed later. No, it's uh, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, we we cover these things, by the way, in our in our upcoming textbook, Mark. So okay. <laughs> We'll we'll, we'll 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 talk about the textbook, yeah, yeah. But uh, particularly the inspect yeah. the inspection thing is something that is undervalued in manufacturing. There are ways to 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 go about it that that are better than others. Uh, but the idea that it should be completely removed is probably uh, not feasible. Yeah. Um, but you know, so you talk about you know the like these different views. So I want to dig a little deeper into like, some people would say, well, lean means zero inventory. Like, well, okay, we might define it differently. Um, you, you've blogged about this and I'll, I'll link to the blog post um, that, that points to a journal article or, around, you know, confusion uh, on, you know, what is lean? And, and, and I kind of want to explore two parts to this. Like one is different views amongst academics and researchers, and then maybe, you know, out, in uh, industry or in healthcare, but like what we've already alluded to a couple of them, but what but what's the most common confusion or at least another common thing that people um, are maybe confused about or or maybe we might even use the word wrong? Okay, so this uh, what's lean depends on uh, on your on where you are kind of and what you've seen and, and there's so many different opinions, right? And now maybe you and I, we would like to think we've studied this for a long time. We know what it is. At least we know maybe more than average uh, what it is. And maybe that's true. But in the end, at the same time, we have our views and others have other views. That's the first realization we have to make. So when I was traveling the factories, sometimes uh, I... I met many people on the shop floor that may not have heard the lean, maybe heard it, but forgot it. And uh, and it can also be, of course, the company-specific production systems. They heard it or seen it, but they don't know what it is. And often they would even define it as yellow tape on the floor. Um, five yeah. says, that's mm -hmm. or lean is cleaning. Okay, that's right. the min. That's in the, for some people. That's the how they see it. Now uh, that's not how 
maybe more students and engineers will see it because at least they had some class on this in school or something they read a book and they will maybe see it as waste reduction and that's maybe the most common way of looking at lean uh, and it is maybe a common denominator across all these areas where we apply lean because there's always waste and it's a good thing to reduce it we it's fine it's it's correct it's just that there is more to it and if you only thing you do is to reduce waste uh, you actually hurt other uh, areas that are important for performance and that's where i often come back to this moody muda muda uh, which is for me almost like a theory of lean because it it contains an understanding of of uh, reducing reducing overload, reducing variety, and then reducing waste. So that that's yeah. a better approach. It's a yeah. high level thinking. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think sometimes uh, it's important to try to separate different experiences, different opinions versus you know uh, correct and incorrect, and, and there and there might be degrees of correctness. So it's not just a yes no right wrong thing, but you know, you, you, you often read, um, there, there are some academics and, and, and there are publications. These often come from fields in the social sciences or labor relations, articles that will go on and on about how lean is bad for workers. And yeah. it's based on some people's lived experiences. But the trouble I have is then when they generalize and say, well, these, these people had bad experiences in this organization, therefore lean is bad. I'm like, well, uh, that's right. It's yeah. That 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 causes some difficulties or confusion. Absolutely, but this is again. Uh, this is also a little bit understanding there. There's about how research works, right? And there's limitations to research as well. Mm -hmm. And um, in many of these studies, and also in many consulting practices, lean is a label you use to sell a service. Uh, wh whatever you can sell within this that at least theoretically you'd like to increase productivity or something in the factory, but you may end up just doing something under the label of lean because people want that. It, of course, we do have that in research as well, because you need to tie your, your research finding or something to, you know, to something that has practical value that people are actually interested in. And, and lean is helpful in this sense because it is a phenomenon of great interest in industry. Uh, in research, it's also like this. If you can tie to something that others say is working and you can prove it doesn't work, suddenly it sounds more interesting than it may actually be because your observation is, of course, correct. Yeah, there's a difference between saying, I mean, we could come at it either way, that an organization tried to, quote unquote, implement lean, whatever that meant to them. Um, didn't really lead to business benefit. The employees were all upset. The company gave up on it. And to say, you know, lean didn't work there, it's it's hard to extrapolate. Just as it would be hard to extrapolate, let's say, look at a company like Danaher. Like, well, you know, Danaher is a manufacturer, uh, acquires companies, puts them through lean transformation, um, creates a lot of value, creates a lot of benefit to, to all their stakeholders. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be a Danaher either. Like, so what do we learn no. from the problems and what do we learn from the successes that that's what we have to figure out for, let's say, as you, as you frame it, our company's production system, right? I think it's a much better approach uh, be, uh, yeah, because of, uh, for numerous reasons, the lean, uh, lean is uh, many things to many different people and it depends on your experience and this is so when we say when you for example talk about that company that some uh, maybe organizational behavior research has studied and they find they were doing lean they observed it right that's a phenomenon somebody tried to do some 5s and daily shop floor meetings and stuff whether or not it worked and was implemented as or, or used as um, uh, as uh, uh, it should be it's of less interest it's a phenomenon lean under this certain things happen uh, cost relationship and so on they, and they go so it's it, it, from their perspective it's not wrong right but uh, if we look at this from the maybe <coughs> that's the when it becomes tricky when we look at it from the lean as tps angle and we look at the respect for people and using daily shop room meeting properly in this. That's absolutely not lean. Then the question is, okay, so is lean Toyota production system? 
And some people would say, some people say lean is TPS applied outside of Toyota. It's a fair definition, but I would, I think it has many problems because I don't think, for example, and you're the expert, but when you apply lean in a hospital, it's not TPS outside of a, a, a car factory. It has completely different settings. It's the customer is not the customer. The, the patient is not the customer and so on and so on. So that's where I think uh, the company-specific production system tailoring uh, the lean, if you'd like, or even if you want to go there, Six Sigma, total quality management, whatever works for you to achieve the purpose you want to do, which is often improving productivity, mm-hmm. pack it into your own system, just like Toyota did. That's what right. that's what they did. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think you know, we 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 in in healthcare, we can certainly learn principles and mindsets and and practices from Toyota. Um, I you know, do we call it TPS? With you know, we probably wouldn't call it TPS. We we. I, we we probably wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it production right so you mentioned earlier this one label uh, Virginia Mason production system like as successful as Virginia Mason has been over fifteen plus years I've always found that a bit curious that they didn't call it let's say the Virginia Mason care system or you know there are other organizations that might say well we've adapted lean and TPS and we call it uh, the Cleveland Clinic improvement model, or we yeah. call it continuous improvement or some other label. Or we so Cleveland Clinic improvement model is Cleveland Clinic's description of their system. And and, and I think there is benefit to that, right? I mean, I, General Motors didn't want to say we're implementing Toyota production system. They want to call it, you know, global competitive manufacturing or something. They give it their own label. No, I think that, that of course it's a value because of the ownership you get to the model. Of course, nobody in the automobile industry want to implement the competitive model. This is maybe also partly why they call it lean back in the days, but it, that's too generic, right? So uh, labeling, labeling it by your own name, maybe even using your logo, your colors, it creates some ownership. There's no doubt that this belongs to you. And that comes with a few benefits. First, uh, it makes it clear. That, I mean, this is not optional. This is a system that we have developed and want to use. And second, it should also create a little bit this more long-term commitment to the model. So, you know, when the CEO change, okay, new model, but if you, particularly if you use Six Sigma for a long time, okay, then we try lean and, and you get all this, uh, the consultants cross-firing at you and trying to win you over for the next big thing, industry 4.0, industry 5.0. If you, this, these things happen in any case, if you can say, fine, but let's build it into our company-specific production system, business system, or whatever you want to call it. I think it's a stronger, more sustainable approach. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there, there's that that ownership and there's the ability to evolve. So like just to use another example of an organization and their label, uh, Duke University Health System has what they call the Duke Quality System. Mm-hmm. When, when you call it something you know kind of broad like that, you can fold in and incorporate different methodologies uh, where it doesn't seem like you know we're we're, we're we're giving up on this and now this is our thing like you you can you could fold in maybe a little bit of six Sigma with with lean and and other safety and quality practices you know it, it's Duke's uh, you know quality system and 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 and, and one other benefit, maybe, and you, you wrote about this, so I wanted to ask you about, you know, uh, lean versus TPS. Uh, it's funny, you, you wrote in the blog post, uh, if you like heated debates, start a discussion thread on the definition of lean uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, you I think, should try that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I've, 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 I've seen enough of that. But um, I think the other heated debate is one that I see a lot of people back to this question of, Lean is just a label for TPS versus lean is a low definition, uh, low fidelity quality uh, copy. Let me try to say that again, a low fidelity copy of TPS, or it could be better than TPS where we've taken it, you know, uh, you know, I think you or somebody in the article said, you know, are, are we trying to copy Toyota of the 1960s or are we trying to evolve our own company operating system? 
Absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, I, you know, when I go to conferences, you still see this uh, Tai Chi Ono photo on the shop floor, right? Maybe we yeah, are all yeah, also yeah, guilty yeah. in using it at some point uh, in time. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, Tai Chi Ono said, and he's on the shop floor on the center. Come on, this isn't state of the art. And we know, and whatever he <laughs> said back then was probably truth and all of these things, but it isn't, it isn't universal truth and the world mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. Um so when the world evolved, also Toyota evolves, right? Right. And so Toyota develops the Toyota production system. We we talked about that. We saw in France now in the Toyota factory, they they look they have an Industry 4.0 manager in Toyota factory. You know, mm. that's it. That's an interesting observation. So it's something that happens, um, and it basically just shows that Toyota at least is willing to learn and 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 de develop. They maybe. Anyway, maybe we should try to ask someone to define what is the Toyota production system anno 2022. Mm -hmm. And if uh, what they still show is, you know, the the TPS house, which is a very good description of how it was, if if that's where we still are, mm -hmm. uh, we're losing out on a lot mm -hmm. of opportunities yeah. with new technologies, yeah. with a new world, with the geopolitical tensions and all kinds of things that we have. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we can look and see how Toyota, you know, on their corporate Japan website in English, how they define the Toyota production system today, right? What, what? That's two. That's two things they have on that web page is Jidoka yeah. and just in time, right? I mean, I mean, at least that's right. what I. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and then there's there's a lot more to it. Um, but let's say if you visit, you know, one of the visitor centers in, let's say, San Antonio or in Japan, when they have you know, uh, displays explaining, here's what we mean by respect for people. Here's what we mean by continuous improvement. Like, you know, there are those other yeah. uh, dimensions to it. We can look at how, um, you know, TSSC teaches TPS to different types of organizations here in 2022, how they just, how they explain it. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you raise a good point. There are some notions that might be outdated and Toyota has evolved. Like the one I've heard from Toyota people is like kind of the classic image of, of Taiichi Ono and people would jokingly say, Oh no, here comes Mr. Mr. Oh no. Cause he okay. would, you know, he would yell and scream and there are yeah. lots of stories about think behavior like that. But Toyota seems to have evolved sort of, you know, from that, the behavior like that might not be acceptable today that um you know that they've tried to evolve into what what i've heard them describe as a more humanistic um approach to um to how they improve and and how they lead so i think there would be danger in somebody saying well here's how taiichi ono did it here's how shingajitsu people did it lean means yelling and screaming and insulting people like that that yeah, I, I, nice. wouldn't, I wouldn't i wouldn't recommend that it's but, not nice but, no yeah so, but uh, yeah, the, like the uh, U.S. Army approach, I right? try to break them down and then build them up again. But that, that, that may work in some settings, but absolutely not in all. We also have to remember that when, uh, of course, Womack, Johnson, Rosen, and the whole uh, IMF study in the in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, then studied this thing. They they described the Toyota production system as of the, that day in 1988, 1989, 1990 in, 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 the, in the machine that changed the world, right? And that's when we started to use the word lean. And that's a good study. And all of that is good. But at the second after that, I mean, in we started to populate the lean term with a lot of things that were never used in Toyota. Prime example is the value stream app. It's a good tool. It's a fantastic tool in many settings for consult doesn't work in all settings but it isn't a toyota tool i mean right it's it's, it's, a an, adapt, it's an adaptation of what they call what material and information flow diagram right absolutely and yeah. that plays another role in a minor role in toyota so and so maybe that's an improvement of the toyota production system at least for some settings but not for all that's why i say lean isn't toyota production system it was lean was toyota production system in you know, when Kraftschick studied in 1988, he put out a study there on, 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 on lean. That's when lean was TPS. Since then, it has evolved in slightly different directions. And uh, lean, of course, is a much broader term than TPS. And we use lean in healthcare, in hospitals, in governance, in police. And uh, nobody should tell us that it's exactly the same in all these settings because it isn't true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, there are things that evolve. Um, and, and then there's some things that are old that are maybe timeless principles that don't Absolutely. change. Things like, you know, uh, a principle like respect for people, respect for humanity. Some of the manifestation of that may change over time. But the principle probably doesn't become outdated. Right. No, we all agree at that level. And then, uh, of course, also, also this principle means different things in different cultures uh, slightly, right? And so it's, uh, 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 maybe I would like to make that point about an, if you have a company-specific production system as well, it, it's just a guide. I mean, it's it's not not a system you should rigorously implement because some of sometimes these systems and programs that are adaptations of TPS to whatever to your setting tends to take on a live life on their own, right? They are followed with a lot of assessments and uh, and there's 20, 30 people working in a group just implementing and making PowerPoint slides and all kinds of things to make these things look nice and shiny. Uh, part of that is needed, but it shifts the objective from improving work itself to running these programs. And that's where uh, we sometimes go wrong as well when we try to structure too much uh, the deployment of lean, if, if you want to use that as a overarching. Well, yeah, uh, there, there's deployment and you've written about how, and I would agree with you on this, implement or implementation is probably not the right word either. Oh yeah, I used this word. I think it was back in uh, was was it uh, the Jeff Liker? I think I was in in a conference with Jeff Liker, and I I talked to, about him like informally about this, and I used the word implementation, and he stopped me and said that that's not that's mm. not appropriate. Mm. Uh, but so he's thinking, and kind of the idea is simple. Lean isn't the uh, IT system. I mean, it's right. not a digital thing. You can't implement it. You don't. And if it, okay, that was never my intention, obviously, with using this word. Sure. Sure, but sure. reflecting on it further, I'm not. I'm very relaxed about it because sure. okay. Then you, what should we call it? Deployment? Is it better? What does it Ad- mean? Adoption? I don't. I don't like. I mm, yeah. That never yeah. ends. I mean, and yeah. uh, particularly for a researcher, the word word implement is almost needed because we we have to say something for sure whether or not you you use it or not. I mean, we can say. Ah, uh, yeah, we're in there somewhere on the process, but we don't know exactly where. We need to be able to try to to pin down a, approximately where you are, maybe even with a number. Otherwise, we can't do uh, objective research on it. That has its limitations. We all understand it's not that easy, and, and these things. But it's also what companies do with their assessments. So I'm uh, relaxed about the word, but sure. I've been arrested before by, for using it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, back to that point of different researchers, you know, maybe having uh, a different view or a different word. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, some of that difference uh, sparks people to think and reflect and, yeah. um, you know, create their own uh, experiences. But, um, you know, before we wrap up here, you know, I do, again, want to point people to your blog, uh, better-operations.com. And you can find links to um, journal articles uh, that, that, that Tor has written. There's one, and may, maybe at some point we could do we could do a whole episode around something you wrote about, and I've re- written and talked about why it's wrong to blame just in time, yeah. quote unquote, just in time for pandemic era supply chain problems. Like, could, could you give us maybe just a, a, a real quick uh, synopsis. If an, if an executive or if you were talking to an executive on an elevator um, and, and they said, you know, Tor, you, you say lean is good, but just in time has killed us during the pandemic. How, how would you try to explain? Well, first, I would ask yeah. you're not using just in time. because <laughs> You probably don't know exactly what it is. I mean, if yeah. you have a global yeah. supply chain and these things, you're already uh, violating a little bit the principle of of you know next door supply and this thing. so that's one thing and even if, if they have global they usually tend to have tons of inventory in their supply chain either it was stuck somewhere that's it they don't know where it is I mean so they can use digital technologies and all kind of things to improve that performance but so I would it's globalization which I think it's it's a beautiful thing uh, is more to blame for the crisis that, that we got than than just in time and. Um, and by the way, I hope we will uh, go back to, to a time where we see globalization uh, uh, blossom again. Right now, it's a little bit of a dark time. Um, I wanted to say one more thing. What was that? Just, uh, I forgot it. 
Yeah. Um, that you're probably not really practicing just in time because you have big, long, slow supply chains. And then. Yes. And there was one more thing I wanted to say. If we want this to be a good planet to live on in the future, there is no other option than just in time. There is no, I mean, especially with the fragmented long global supply chains that we have, and we have them for a reason. It's because the economic activity, you know, always takes the shortest path, just like water. It finds its way. And it's a good thing. It's it's why the world has developed, you know, and we are prosperous in these things. I'm not saying we should not have manufacturing activities in Western countries. We should absolutely. We'll always find its way. But cooperation and trade is, is a good thing in general. And uh, if you're going to stock this world up with inventory everywhere, it's just not going to be a good thing. Instead of inventory, focus on shortening lead times. And that is right. just very good Toyota thinking. So we're back yeah. to lean. Lean is saving the world. <laughs> well, there's there's shortened lead times, which means you know more agility, lower inventory at the same time. But then there's the environmental impact and the carbon footprint, right? So I've seen Toyota at factories. I, I don't know offhand if they've achieved this. I know they certainly aim to be zero landfill facilities. So that's a that's a pretty local way of looking at things. Um, I wonder if, if uh, you know, the, the next step might be to aim to be uh, carbon neutral through your supply chain. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Unfortunately, it's been free to pollute up to today. But uh, again, here is, a, is, is an area where we should also embrace technology, not just say let's, you know, we are, because technology can do wonders if we are able to do things uh, yeah, that reduce emissions. It can be anything from continuous improvement of engines to just make them more energy efficient. And they are, it's not like they're not working on this. And then we also need to shift to new technologies. So. Yeah. So there's a, there's a business opportunity that can actually be good for the world as well. Yeah. Well, so, so uh, I, again, our guest has been uh, Tor Netland. Uh, Tor, I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person and to, um, to seeing you, to hearing you speak at the AME conference uh, in Dallas. So again, I remind people, Go to ame.org, look for a link uh, in the show notes. And, and a final final question, and, and maybe we can uh, talk about this uh, again in the future, that you have a textbook that you've uh, written uh, with Michel Baudin, who, who I know. He's a, a Frenchman who's lived in California for, for many decades, and I've crossed paths with him and you know, res- respect his work. Um, uh, t- tell, us about, tell us about that textbook and what the focus is, when it's going to be available. That has been a long project. Oh yeah. my God! If I knew when we started this <laughs> thing, I don't know if uh, we would ever start. But we're getting to an end uh, five or six years after we started, which is much longer than what we had intended. But it is uh, an eight hundred page textbook on introduction to manufacturing. Um, you start to write about manufacturing, you realize there's uh, quite a few things that you need to cover, uh, and uh, manufacturing is so diverse. Uh, so uh, there, there's so many different arguments you need to make. Some boilerplate arguments about you know using some principles everywhere just doesn't work. So that what has taken us quite a bit of time. It, it's a book uh, with an industrial engineering and management perspective, and what it really does is that it, I think it fills a gap because uh, there's tons of textbook on operations management and supply chain management, taking the process perspective. Um, and explaining operation strategy and, and these things, they have, tend to be generic, good books to, to learn about this. Also. And there are many of them. At the other hand, there's all the uh, machining uh, process technology textbooks that go into grinding, milling, automation, and all of these things. In the middle there, how you manage actually design and, and improve a factory, there's been almost nothing. Uh, and that's exactly where we target uh, the book. Um, so... I look forward to have that. See that it, we've sent it to production. So now, okay. now we're waiting for Rotledge to well see how how lean they are. So, well, there are even the, in the best of times, publishing supply chains can be slow and global. Um, there's a, another author I talked to recently whose book was uh, Alan Robinson, who I'm going to have on the podcast again here soon. Um, new book uh, was the release was delayed for a couple of months because what he he was he was told there were paper shortages uh-huh. at least at, in, at 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 his publisher so uh I, I hope you don't i hope you don't hit delays uh, in maybe that maybe not but 
you know, <laughs> the, there's also the ebook. So there's always opportunities <laughs> with technologies that we can't ignore. <laughs> well, it'd be, uh, you know, an 800 page book is a lot to carry around. So there's a benefit to an ebook version of uh, maybe. Well, of, of course, there's something particular with holding a textbook in that. In that yeah. Sort of yeah. Board. There are pros and cons as, as with any of these uh, new technologies. So um, we'll look forward to that book being available. Maybe when the book comes out, maybe you and Michelle and I can do an episode together to talk about that. That could book. be fun. That could be fun. Yeah. Um, I, have no good reason why I haven't invited Michelle to be uh, to be on the podcast. So maybe we can do that um, at some point. So again, uh, Torn Etlin joining us from uh, Switzerland, and he will again be at the AME annual conference as one of the keynoters. Uh, website again is better-operations.com. Uh, Tor, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, really, you know, uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you. So see you soon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.